0: You can't trust this president to do the right thing, not for one minute, not for one election, not for the sake of our country. You just can't. He will not change, and you know it. History will not be kind to Donald Trump. One day, when the glory comes,
1: it will be ours. The war is won. We will be
2: This is our common ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
0: Because oh. the Black Lives Matter movement emerged under a black president, Black Attorney General, and Black Homeland Security, and they couldn't deliver. You see? So that when you talk about the masses of black people, the precious poor and working class black people, poor and working class brown, red, yellow, whatever color, they're the ones who are left out and they feel so thoroughly powerless, helpless hopeless then you get rebellion and we've reached the point now it's a choice between nonviolent revolution and by revolution what i mean is the democratic sharing of power resources wealth and respect if we don't get that kind of sharing you're going to get more violent explosions
2: america's chickens Coming home! Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
1: You're going to sing or swim, you're going to learn the truth. No matter what you do, you're going to learn the truth. Alternative Activist Empowerment talk Radio. Speaking truth to our and ourselves passes a three-strike law and then wants us to sing God bless America? No, no, no. Not God bless America. God bless
2: our common ground with Janice Graham.
1: Our common ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our common ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions and ideas.
3: I'm Janice Graham and I'll be listening for you.
1: Talk
4: Talk That Matters.
1: And
3: good evening and welcome to Our Common Ground, thank you so very much for joining us tonight here. We've got um, a number of things we want to go through tonight. Uh, In our second hour, we're going to be talking about that transnational crime syndicate and regime that we have in the White House. But as we come into the program, we still want to review where we are in the pandemic. So far, as of today, 3,355,646 cases of coronavirus have been reported in the United States, 137,403 deaths, and 1,490,446 people have recovered. And we do want to talk about what that means, this recovery from this Uh, Pandemic. Uh, New York still could, the state of New York still continues to lead the nation in the total number of cases. The top five states New York with 426,807 total cases, Uh, California 319,985 cases, Texas, Florida. New Jersey are the top five. Uh, there have been reports of uh, alarming reports of uh, new cases in, um, in, um, in all of those states, including Arizona, including North Carolina, uh, and um, we still have no national leadership. Um, in this country on this pandemic, and uh, it speaks to a number of things. We don't have any leadership at all. Tonight's uh, uh, episode title is Black America Over Policed and Underprotected, and we want to talk to you about what you believe you're – expectations ought to be uh, for protection uh, in the use of your tax dollars and the kinds of policing that we experience as a community and I I think that sometimes we get uh, confused about what the balance should be. What, What should we expect and what we won't won't tolerate and what is harmful in our community in terms of policing. There is a model, uh, and um, I think we tend to ignore that model. We know that uh, policing models across this country view black neighborhoods and communities as crime-ridden and havens for criminal activity in a way that is racialized and in a way that supports the ideology of white nationalism and white supremacy. And criminalizing these residential areas is a concern, ought to be a concern to us, because it creates a natural response of resentment, distrust, and animosity from an agency that is supported by our tax dollars and held up by the people for with for whom we vote can be detrimental to our quality of life. Uh, 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 we have seen a history, and we need to take a look at both the unlawful killing of black people in this country, but we also need to look at some other areas of policing that we don't do a lot of talking about. We we do very little discussion. Um, for instance, and I want to get your response and your input about this because I think we need to talk about it. What are the services that we should expect? In our community, we have issues of domestic violence. We have issues of block violence. We have issues of uh, minor criminology that makes a neighborhood a feeling that the neighborhood is unsafe. That is a stressor for black people, adults, and children. But one of the things that we are not giving enough um, attention to is the issue of missing black Americans. And I want to put a light on that, because that is a police function in most Cities, when someone goes missing, who is responsible for assisting a family, a loved one, or uh, in identifying that person and, and rescuing them? I mean, when we look at the numbers, we are, are really, really um, have a problem. Um, I looked for this program, I looked at some information, and the majority of both black and white Americans agree that black people are treated less fairly than whites in dealing with the police. Now, we all know that, and by the criminal justice system as a whole. But whites, um, as a percentage, more than Eight in ten black adults say that blacks are treated less fairly than whites by police. But 63%, 61% of those people who were polled indicate that and, and were white say in general our country these days that blacks are treated less fairly than whites. And that is a real, real difference. Um, black men are far more likely than black women to say they've been unfairly stopped by the police. Black adults are uh, about five times as likely as whites to say they've been unfairly stopped by police because of their race. 44% versus 9%. And I wonder what what that is about. But Um, Black men and black women agree that uh, people are suspicious of the police, that the police act as if they are not smart, 49% 49% of black women and 57% of black men indicate that they have been subjected to slurs or jokes. 40% of black women in this study, this is a study done by the Pew Research Center, uh um, of women indicated that they feared for their personal safety in interacting with police. And 46% of black men who were polled indicated that they, too, were feared for their personal safety. Um, Of the people who were polled, 31% Thirty-one percent of the women had been, in their in, in their estimate, unfairly stopped by police, and fifty-nine percent of the black men indicated that they had been unfairly stopped by police. Twenty percent of the women indicate that uh, indicated it was their assumption that the police were racist or prejudiced, and 31% of the black men indicated the same. Now, it's really interesting that white Democrats and white Republicans have a very vast, vastly different view of how black people are treated by police and the wider justice system. Overwhelmingly, majorities of white Democrats say blacks are treated less fairly than whites, 88%, uh, in regard to police, and 86% in regard to the criminal justice system. Four in ten white Republicans argue um, the same. But the vast Gaps between white Republicans, and Democrats is just very glaring. So, I, I think that is one of the what we generally think about when we think about our engagement and our interaction with the police. But I think there's a racial me- measure uh, when police come into our homes or police are called upon to assist us in resolving family matters, in resolving issues that have to do with black people who have mental illness. And that's, that's also true uh, with black people who are homeless, how the police interact and engage with them differently. But here is another problem that I think that we do not um, that we have have to place in our formula around what we should expect about the police. And for those of you who would like to talk with us about This, our number is 347-838-9852. About 60% of the reports that's seen in the United States that goes into databases around missing children are black and brown. Missing black Americans are overrepresented in the total number of missing people in the U.S. despite making up 13% of the total U.S. population. That's a, that's a piece of data that everybody, uh, I'm hoping everybody in the audience, has at, at their fingertips. We are 13% of the total U.S. population. More than 30% of all missing persons in 2018 were black, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. About one-fifth of those cases were covered by the news. Black families who are searching for missing relatives say that they're their missing loved ones are more likely to be labeled as runaways and that they are somehow not worth the focus of the police on the media. And one of the things that I want to put in here, and I have no evidentiary uh, information about our data, is the idea that police don't do anything about missing adult men that that particular population, when a report is made, it's almost as though it's okay for a black man to be missing unless a family is so adamant about the complaint. There's also... Um, um an issue that I think it's worth contemplating in all of this, especially around missing children, that black missing teens teens people who are between uh, are between the ages of thirteen and eighteen that the complaints that they are missing by their loved ones or families and families are not taken seriously that those cases are treated be, are treated in the same way that an adult missing is treated and 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 I think it ought to be a concern but in the larger picture we see a lot of cruising of 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 police cruises cruisers um very little community policing going on in too many places. And I, I think that to say that we are over policed and underprotected is probably an understatement. I don't know how you what you think in regard to this. Police are looking I think I can go out on a limb on this. Police are looking for uh, are looking for uh, crimin- uh, crime in black communities, but they're looking for safety in white and predominantly white communities in urban areas. Police are looking to break up criminality criminality patterns in neighborhoods that either exist or don't exist. But they are not looking to offer community policing. Now, what is community policing? Um, I, I think we have to get serious um, about how we look at policing in our communities. And according to the Pew research, black Americans are far less likely than whites to give police high marks for the way they do their jobs. Um, and But I think the measures in this study are good ones. Um, they're looking for... Um, equal treatment, and they're looking at accountability for misconduct. And in the 2016 survey that I was able to find, only about a third of black adults said that police in their community did an excellent or good job in using the right amount of force. Blacks said thir- uh, that, they, that police used the right amount of force uh, 33% uh, as good as compared with 75% of whites, and it really bears out what I'm talking about in, the, in 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 this notion that I have in my head that policing in black communities are are around crime. If you see a police car in your in, in most black neighborhoods, especially in urban areas, the police are looking for someone who they believe broke the law. Are they looking for someone who is uh, fingered for having broken the law? Are they looking for someone because they suspect a crime is going to happen? As opposed in as opposed to. Neighborhoods that are predominantly white, police are looking to make sure the, the street lights are on and they are working properly. That um, cars are parked properly. They're they're looking they're looking to ensure that there is nothing unsafe for the people who live in that neighborhood. Now, if you want to argue with me, to, you want to argue with me the the point. I'll give you the number again. It's three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. What does um, what does it do to the confidence and the secu- a secure feeling for citizens to believe that one police are not caring about your complaint? What does it do for children who believe when they see police that it is about some person has done something wrong? And the other is what does it do to, I mean, you know how people operate. Uh, I'm going to buy a house. I go in the neighborhood where I saw a house that I could afford, and I and I go into that neighborhood, and I don't see any police. I don't see any I, – I, I don't see – I see broken lights. I see uh, surveillance cameras for shooting. In Boston, they have these things where it's microphones, and they can understand – when something, when a gun goes off, but in Brookline, they don't have that <laughs> I mean, I I don't know if you understand what I'm saying here. There are microphones on the street lamps, so if there is a gunshot, it is it it is triggered and monitored at the police headquarters, and a car a, a police car is sent out immediately because there was a police um, a, a gun that went off. They, that's the technology that they have. Uh, the other is um, there is more surveillance cameras in black communities than there are in white communities. And I think it's, as citizens, we have to ask the question, Exactly how did they make that decision where surveillance cameras would be? Of course, they have crime maps. But keep in mind also on the over-policing piece, black people who are smoking marijuana, black people who are doing something that's suspicious, that looks suspicious, and it might not be suspicious at all. Are stopped uh that's the over policing they are arrested and um, and they and they come in with a a crime map that counts those incidents and yes, Richard Schnniffner, you are not welcome here. Go away so anyway, I am going to mute you. For real. So um I, I think that we have to I think that we have to uh understand that we have to have a plan and an an agenda for both law enforcement and for also what we're going to do Um, for getting ourselves engaged in this new community discourse around police defunding and police reform, which go hand in hand. So my question to you is tonight, what should that formula be? What should we be asking for in addressing the over-policing issue and addressing the under-protection issue? Let me throw something out there. And many of you know uh, who have been with this program for a long time that for many years I did consulting with uh, the Boston – Health Commission in establishing their citywide um, domestic and family violence program. So, one of the things that I learned is that police intervention, and since that time, even police. Uh, many people in the black community are reluctant to call the police to get involved to bring, to um, resolve uh, family violence issues. And that's really, um, and that's really a, a, a real problem that we need to, Address because it's a big problem, and you really can't have police officers who are um, essentially have no racial intelligence uh, to do that.
1: We we really
3: can't afford to have that. I'm sorry, you all see I'm pausing and things because I'm banning somebody out of my chat room. Um, I think he's gone, and now I can't get back to the regular chat screen. I hate this new. Uh, um. I hate this new uh, chat room alpha. I don't know what they did, but whatever they did, uh, it's very distracting, and I'm distracting my whole. Um, I'm I'm distracted. Y'all bear with me for a minute. Okay. Uh, Okay, I I can't figure it out. Um, So what I'm saying is in the instance of family violence, the police should be offering a service, but that service cannot come at the expense of exacerbating the problem. The other is that there are people... um, both men and women, both um, uh, that are unable to to decide whether they're going to call the police because of the the the, the history of um, I got it now I can talk uh, because of the history that they understand. Um, comes into play in in their minds about what happens if I call the police and uh, it's another eight minutes and 46 seconds. And I think that um, it's, it's, it's something that we are going to have to, which is why I think that every one of you has to get involved with this Now is the time with this opportunity to get in on the dialogue and help set the agenda in the places where you live. Because we complain about the police. We complain about police killings. We complain about police terrorism. I mean, imagine having a wonderful Children in your community Especially teenagers in your family And they're out doing What teenagers do They're loud, they're boisterous They hang out They hang in groups in little groupy things And they're walking down the street They stop because they're going to Talk about something because somebody has to Make a, a point And they're laughing loud And the police comes along And somehow they become suspicious beings. And, and you know how that happens. And I'm not reducing the idea that in some communities, especially in urban areas, young boys who are doing nothing more than selling some weed, and they have guns. Why do they got to have a gun? But they do. And who's selling them the guns? Who's giving them the guns? Who's distributing them the guns? So we have to have a police force that has a racialized intellect, understanding that all you know.
1: <laughs>
3: I, I I know I bring this up all the time, and and somebody's going to send me an email about it. But you have to realize that Caribbean people, for instance. Uh, Italian people, for instance, those are people culturally whose living room extends to the porch and onto the yard. That is the cultural living style that most most in in that particular population grow up with. So you can't have a police department who's telling people that they can't be – in the yard of the apartment building or in a parking lot, because that is how they extend. So you have to have a, a racial intellect about these things. And the police ought to have both the racial intellect, and that is a race consciousness. We cannot ask police, we cannot ask anybody. As I tell people, if you want to be, if you want to say you don't see color, then you're just blind. We cannot have blind police officers. We can't have, and and I haven't started talking about the, the black police officers yet because many of them don't have a race consciousness, but many of them are afraid to reveal their race consciousness as police officers with their colleagues. This is a problem, folks. Over-policing under protection. I, I had um, an experience about three years ago, I think it was three three or four years ago, five years, whatever, when my daughter moved into her new home In a new community, one of the things that she did was to take her teenage son, who looked like he was tall enough to look like he was about 20, but he was only uh, 13, and she didn't want to have any problems with police officers, so she took him to the local police department And introduced him to the sergeant and all these people and saying, look, I'm telling you right now, you need to call your officers that patrol my, my neighborhood and patrol the mall and everything. This is my son. He's 13 years old. So when something jumps off, you know that he is a kid. So we need programs like that, um, much more structured than what my outlier daughter uh, did. But I think it's really important for the police officers who work these neighborhoods, and in her community, by the way, you see po- police cars cruising all the time, um more so than I've ever seen in any communities that I lived in. So, um, so that your 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 teenagers and your daughters, it's very important because teen girls get a lot of opportunity to be exploited by people who have authority over them. And and what I'm advocating tonight is this whole notion of there has to be a a requirement and accountability for protecting our, our community. We act like sometimes with the police departments that we friggin' don't pay taxes. We behave as though... The assumption of criminology, criminality about black people is okay. And the people who put these, who manage and control the police department are the people that you vote for. We are, we're always talking about the police unions, but police union contracts are signed by city and count and sheriff, I'm, I'm living in Florida, I'm getting, I, I know that there's a different system, so I'll even shift to that system. That it is the city commission and the mayor or the county commission. In Massachusetts, they don't have county governments. And in some, in a lot of states, they don't have county governments, they have city governments. And it uh, it is the governor and his law enforcement agencies that sign the union agreements for state troopers and and state police. So we can't assume, we can't be in a position, we can't accept the idea that we have no input and no say-so under what goes into those contracts. And what, what has happened, and part of the problem, is that the police unions have been very crafty. About, they have more power and more, more protection than any other union. And I'm talking about protection in terms of performance, misconduct, and pay. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw the pay part in. Our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. My premise about this is this: governments and their agencies. And we're gonna really talk about this in the second hour because we're gonna go uh, to the transnational crime regime we've got in the White House. And uh, I do want to talk about Roger Stone and and um, Bob Mueller showed up and showed out in the Washington Post uh, today. So, but but my premise is this: we have we the only avenue to holding police accountable is holding state. County and city government and elected officials accountable. As we as it goes for defunding, and we were talking about this on on Wednesday night. On Wednesday night, you know we have a Wednesday night open open mic, same time, same place. Um. The the idea that if we don't seize the opportunity of
4: this movement,
3: that I just gave you the the statistics, 56% of Americans agree that there is a problem with black people and the police. And there is a, a growing movement right now, and the opportunity is now to ensure That we are in on the decisions about what the changes will be, and that we are in on the action to ensure accountability, that we do something about reforming, transforming, and defunding the police to get resources on the streets in our neighborhoods that are helpful. It is not helpful for a police officer to walk in your house when your daughter or your niece or somebody has been battered by her husband and the police are looking at each other and saying, well, you know, she's not dead, so you know, um uh, we'll 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 do a report and uh if we see him, we'll pick him up. Because that's generally how it goes. That is generally how it goes. Now, bringing it boye. Why is your name that? But bringing it boye in our chat room is saying that in his city, his mayor is all about parades and ribbon cutting. Um, that is a performer mayor. But somebody in your city that you pay, like the city manager, and that's what you're saying, you have a city manager, runs the city, and is not an elected official. But who hired the city manager? Your city council. It's time to hold all of the people who you either give your money to, your tax dollars to, and pay their salaries, and or you give your vote to. Because we're going to just keep running around in these circles. We're going um, <clears> to <throat> uh, continue to have the highest rate of missing persons. That's ridiculous. that families who have teenagers and the police are not taking it seriously, that they are missing. Remember the case in, uh, I believe it was uh, Louisiana, where a young black boy, a high schooler, was missing, and his um, his family reported it to the local police. The local police just felt like, well, maybe he's just, you know, decided that he wants to spend some time at the crack house or whatever. And they didn't look for him. And a week later, they found this boy dead, rolled up in a wrestling mat in the gymnasium of the school. And bringing in boyie has said it again, has underlined what I have been saying on these airwaves for years. All as Thomas o. P. O'Neill would say. You all know who Thomas P. O'Neill is, right? He was the Speaker of the House forever and a day. Uh, Thomas P. O'Neill, a representative from Massachusetts, which say all politics are local. Addition to, and you know, if you want to be part of the problem, then be part of the problem. Shut up.
1: <laughs>
3: I mean, as an activist, I, I, I just um, get a bit frustrated because we need warriors on the front line. We don't need people who just want to talk about the problem and talk about the problem and talk about the problem. And have all these ideas, um, but never bringing them to an organized um, movement. And I'm not talking about creating your own movement. We have enough movements going on. But finding an arm of a strong movement in your community to begin to address these issues. And the question that I bring to you tonight at three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two is simply this. Is it okay for black people to be over policed and underprotected? I, I can't I, I, I'll never forget um and I have to talk about my own <laughs> my own situation. My car broke down one night and it was in a garage at the airport. Well, you know what? I had just been I had just been out traveling uh, for work for the whole week, and it was like Thursday night, and it was snowing like crazy, and um, the cabs were slow and the whole nine yards and I didn't feel like being bothered and I went over to a state trooper and said, Excuse me, but can you take me home? <laughs> and he kinda looked at me like I was nuts. I said, Look, I got I I I called I uh, you you have cabs that won't be here for three hours because of the snowstorm. But you got a car with a light and stuff. Even if you could just get me to the train station and North Station, and I could get home from there. <laughs> and he actually gave me a ride and took me to my door because he was getting off. So I think that we should be. I mean, I I I think that we should feel that we have the ability that we should have the expectation to be able to stand in a place where we can expect not only what everybody else is getting but for 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 what we need you know and i say that about education as well i think that that title title 1 is a great thing but in most, black commun- in most traditionally black communities, and we know that most of the schools in urban areas are segregated, and those schools should be overfunded, not equally funded. But we have the right to extract accountability, to not be over-policed but to be overprotected and overserved, And police officers are not, for the most part, I mean, you know, most of you know that I taught at Northeastern University and Simmons College for f- almost 20 years, and most of my students were people who were uh, professionally working during the day and trying to get their master's degree at night. And most of those people, and some of those people, were police officers. Some of them were elected um, uh, officials, and some of them were government workers. But all of them needed to have, in order to do their professional work, to have the resources that they bring to their jobs. Police officers should be expected to do so, but we should have a na- very narrow definition of the scope in which police officers are working. We, we do that for we do that for firefighters, we do that for EMT workers, but we don't do that. We we are and the police unions and I have to say the police unions have been squawking about this for years that we ask police officers to do too much. Police officers cannot be intervention negotiators, which is what you need when a husband and wife or a boyfriend and girlfriend or partners are fighting in their homes as a family matter. A police officer should not be the first responder in that we need Professionally trained intervention violence negotiators. That's a real thing, y'all. It really is a real thing. So, what I'm saying is, you've got to get into this game. This game is real, and it is right now in every community in this country. And if you live in a city where there is no – I mean, what, what good is it for us to be in the street yelling Black Lives Matter and we're not transforming those characteristics that are unjust that we pay for? I keep saying that. We pay for it. You don't have to own a house, uh, to say you are a taxpayer. When you pay rent, you're paying some taxes. You don't have to own a car, you don't have to have a job somewhere in what you do, you are paying taxes. It's not necessarily income taxes, it's some other kind of taxes or people who are retired like me, um, um you've already paid the taxes on the, you know on the social security medicare whatever it is you are you have to claim your right as a citizen of this united states you have nowhere to go i can i've been to four, four, four continents in this world And when you go there, you are not a citizen there. I'm going to take a call, and then I'm going to go on a break because I've been ranting for a while now. 909, you're on the air. 909, thank you for your call. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you for your call.
5: Thank you for taking my call. I had to unmute myself. <laughs> so okay. hear me. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, as far as the police departments go, I think, honestly, and I don't know if this is where you were kind of going as far as the, you know, the police departments being over policing and, and, and then under protecting. And I, I don't know how or why or what happened, but according to the Supreme Court, the police aren't there actually to put themselves in harm way to protect us. And so I'm wondering why we have to pay taxes for them to have a salary for them to exist. Um, the sheriffs, on the other hand, and their deputies or even um, state troopers um, have the same and more authority um, to do the policing in neighborhoods is just not enough of them, but they're sworn to uphold the constitution. And that's why you have some sheriffs and their departments um, that can go against their governor if their governor, you know, um, puts down some type of mandate that's unconstitutional. Um, and so, but the police are more, would you agree, like a minute, like you were saying, city or municipality type thing. Um, and they're there for traffic violations I think more so because they're not trained to do
1: to no, work in the neighborhood
5: where no. the neighborhood needs more and that's why we need the other programs because well, those programs have train people I'm sorry go ahead
3: police are not that limited um, their job is to enforce law the city law and to protect the rights of citizens so it's not limited to traffic, um, but it also doesn't extend. And 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 you're right; they're to protect and serve, mm-hmm. and not to make up their own laws. Uh, if I'm right. If I'm following you, I've been all over the place on this, but but there are very specific performances of law enforcement that police have the authority and jurisdiction to carry out.
5: Sure. So, right. But there are to me anyway it seems like they would rather arrest people than deal with the situation and have them work it out in court. But that's not always the best thing especially when it involves family and some type of um, abuse going on. You need a professional for that and they're not trained for that and I'm not blaming them for that. I'm just saying they're not equipped to handle those yeah. type of situations, so they take the person that they think uh, should be removed from the home, and then the children see that, and you know that's traumatizing. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> and the, the, yeah, which is why you police ought to always be, in my opinion, uh, accompanied by a violence negotiator, uh, a family violence negotiator on domestic violence complaints, uh, mm-hmm. and and this is why. I'm sorry, what is your first name? Your first name only. Don't give your name. Your <laughs> See first that. name. See See that. This is why it is so critically important for us to begin to look at what authority police officers are being given in our cities and towns and to begin to redefine their roles and to mm-hmm. begin to transform a whole new definition of what, how we handle specific kinds of problems of law. I mean, like, the mm-hmm. prob- here, here's the situation, Suzette. The problem of law in a domestic violence case is that one adult cannot assault another adult,
1: mm-hmm. no matter
3: what the, the question is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So
3: it is upon the law enforcement to carry out the enforcement of that law. But when you have all of these intricate family, emotional, uh, relationship issues going on, there are more layers, and that is why the police should not be first responders in family and domestic violence complaints. So we have to go all the way back, Suzette, (laughs) and begin (laughs) to redefine the role of a police officer, and I would not be one that would say we should redefine it to traffic and traffic only. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no,
5: no, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. That's basically what they're doing now because they're not equipped to do anything else. They're not trained to do anything else as far as deal with those um, domestic violence. And so that's why I was saying there's a need for the programs. Truly wants to do something and involve its citizens, no matter how big the state is. I live in California, so we're really big. But if they can put things on the ballot to for money to go towards, you know, making some type of monument or naming a post office box, I don't understand why they don't do police reform and, and through that channel um, as far as work, uh, a step program, you know, yeah. four steps. Okay, so but we're going to vote you, on this as far as we want this to happen. I think there should be more police departments in in areas. And I think the smaller to, to community as far as a city goes if it needs to have two or three so this way those police officers can get to know the community the community should know who's on duty that night It should be posted so you can call they can tell you who's on duty you can know the officer's name there's a communication going on because right now there's you know in ontario we're a huge city and we've got one police department and not enough police and and in other areas there's too many police and so in order to make it work for for different cities and different communities if you're going to have a relationship in order to have the citizens protected and secure, um, and also, in addition, those specialty programs so that way they can get called out and there won't be exhausted. There will be enough to handle that community, um, both police and both um, special specialties as far as domestic communities yeah. or, or anything else. So, yeah.
1: you know,
5: I don't know, that's just my opinion. You asked for solutions, so I didn't want to be part of the problem.
3: Well, <laughs> does that, what oh, we're okay. asking what we're asking from our common ground is for people like you to get involved at the local level where there are state police state agency is a state state police or state is a state agency. So it would be Mm -hmm. covered by your state government. Your local Mm -hmm. police would be covered by your local government and all of those all of those areas need to be redefined and transformed to meet community needs. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be law enforcement in every city that deals with the the notion of uh, violent crime.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um uh, no, and
3: I, I, I that, believe... sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and yeah. And I and I really am one of those people who believes that um, certain kinds of drugs, drugs having to uh, when it's when you're dealing with teenagers and children, sex trafficking, human trafficking, all of those are law enforcement um, areas that. Police ought to be involved in, but they ought to also be trained about it. And part part of the problem, Suzette, in large cities—and it sounds like you don't live in a large city—part of oh, the I problem.
1: The large city. <laughs> Sorry, oh, okay,
3: okay. But part of the problem in large cities is that you you that cities are hiring so many people who simply ought not be police officers. Agreed. Yeah. Suzette, thank you for your call. Are you gonna be one of our regulars?
5: I think I am. I like your topics and, and I like the fact that you are not just a talker, that you want action, that you're willing to take action and be an activist and get out there and, and we need more people well, to I be am an activist We like that. call this we
3: we called this our common ground, alternative <laughs> Activist empowerment talk radio.
1: Oh, I like and that. we thank
3: you for we thank you for your call. I'm gonna um go to another caller because we've got something really as important to talk about. But I am begging people to get involved locally. Now is the time because this country, people in this country have said, have proclaimed that it's time to address the police role. And justice in our country. Thank you, Suzette, and you have a great weekend. But stay with us; we've got lots more. Seven seven three. You're on the air. Thank you for your call.
4: Well, good evening, Janice, and um...
3: hey, Alpha, how are you? Hi. Uh, good to hear from you tonight.
4: Not good, but I'll live. Now, let me approach this in a different manner. I live in Chicago. And are the police bad? Damn right they're bad. Am I glad they are are they yeah, they're they brutal in Chicago?
3: Damn right they're brutal. Are they terrorists? Terrorist police officers? And sanctions uh, Sections in Chicago You're damn right Alpha.
4: Okay They,
3: they really <laughs>
4: are So I'll be damned if you do And be damned if you don't
3: Well you don't have time time to I'm be here. You don't have to be be damned Doing and doing And I don't I, I don't, do I don't think
4: Why When I hear a siren I have never wanted, when I hear the siren, I'm pulling for the police because obviously they've been called to a situation. And when they've been called to a situation and they pull up on a situation, they are met with hostility by the bystanders, by, by everybody involved, be it a domestic, be it whatever. And they're met like that because people don't trust them, people don't like them, and justifiably so. But I, I can't say that they're all bad, but the good ones won't speak up. The police union are a bigger problem. This uh Oh, but wait wait, wait a minute, wait a minute
3: Hold on for a second Hold on for a second, Alpha You said the police union is the problem But who is the police union But the members
4: No The police union is the biggest problem You look at the heads The presidents of all the police unions Around the country And the second in charge the third in charge, the treasurer, go down the line of the executive board, and all you see is prejudiced policemen, And this is what they're holding on to. The police unions have turned into our local NIA because they yep. want law and order in my community but in the other communities where... I'll say it like this. White people live. Uh, They go in with a, what can I do for you, ma'am? In my community, they come in with, get up against the wall. Let me see your hand. Come on, So I look at it, if you ain't doing nothing, you really don't have anything to complain about, but except for the way... They have approach to Except
3: you. for the indignities, except for the behavior right. that causes the distrust
1: right.
3: and the animosity. Uh, let me ask you a question, Alpha. Let me ask you a question. One of the biggest problems in Chicago right now in the uh, large Black residential areas are are guns on the street. People just shooting guns and killing people like it's uh, uh, a scripted kind of thing. But what is the root of that problem?
4: Well, the guns come from outside Chicago in the outlying area. It's like crossing the street and you can go buy a gun if you have Okay your, your so is position.
3: that is is that more of the problem than the young men who are running around with the guns?
4: Let me put it like this to give a, to give an example. ISIS can you ask the the villager, the the about Muslim in one of these towns in Afghanistan or in a Muslim country, to be responsible or to have a solvable solution for ISIS. ISIS is going to kill up and do up whatever the hell they want to. That's the same with the black culture here. See, well, well, wait, to...
3: wait, let me let me stop you right here, Alpha, because I got to take a break because I've got some stuff to do on the other side, and I really value your insight about your community, and and your political your understanding of the political nature of this, but let me just stop you for a moment. In the white communities that have gun problems. And there are white communities that have gun problems. You can go to Maryland. You can go to Virginia. You can go to um, North Dakota. You can go to Minnesota. You can go to Massachusetts and Vermont. And there are gun problems among young people having illegal firearms. But, in the predominantly white communities, neighborhoods, and uh, residential neighborhoods, that problem is being addressed. Because the police well? know who has the guns. The police know where the guns are coming from. Part of the problem, Alpha, and I'm going to let you um, have your last say, but part of the problem is that in inner cities, in urban areas, you are dealing with so many individual police officers who are corrupt. They are engaged and intertwined in the drug business and in the gun business. Okay. turn. Well Wrap it up, Al, oh. Okay, you're absolutely
4: right, because it's turned into a market
6: rather than a neighborhood,
4: rather than a community group. Their priority does not exist for uh, lifting up the community. So many, 90%, 95% of them live outside the city limits. They do not, and there's an ordinance. Yeah,
3: residential must, residential requirements uh, residential are very ordinance. important.
4: But but yet and still, there are many of them, who are violating this, and they simply have this this phantom residency, and they get by with it.
3: Yeah, but these, we're going to continue. We're going to continue this conversation about policing in America and over-policing and under-protecting black people in America on Wednesday night on this program and in Contano Wednesday night open mic because I think, it, I think that we really do have to synthesize and process out really what is happening. To this problem, also, Thank you for your call. I'm gonna look for your call on the other on the other side because I know you're gonna call. So I'm gonna put you on mute because <laughs> I got something for you. <laughs> you're listening to Our Common Ground. This is the Black Sanctuary of Truth. We honor and respect the truth through the lenses of Black people. And I'm Janice Graham, and I'm so glad to have you with us. You stay with us. Don't go anywhere. I got my water. I'm not drinking my poppy tonight. So we'll come right back.
2: listening to our common ground with janice graham stay tuned and we'll be right back with more
1: Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste.
3: invite you to be a regular here at Our Common Ground, Saturday night, 10 p.m.
2: Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
1: And at TruthWorks Network,
0: this is alternative, progressive, urban talk radio. Our Common Ground Media and Communications, where race and talk
1: matters.
3: Join us on all of our social network platforms,
1: Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr, and our web blogs. TruthWorks Network, where the truth must be spoken
3: more than once.
4: Our common ground, speaking truth to power
1: and ourselves. wake up the entire african-american community to the hidden issue of mental health
4: it
3: showed up in my life through one of my best friends and we've been friends for over 30 years
1: one story at a time
3: if we would have known earlier you
1: know we would have been more much more supportive with her once i reached out to my sister
5: it got a little better once i told my mother it got a little better the more i talked about it I felt it coming off.
0: The healing is in me and the healing
1: in a journey can also be extended to others. It's our community and our mental health. Giving voice to what you're feeling is part of the healing. If you're strong enough to just open your mouth, that's all it takes. And the most revolutionary and healing thing that black people can do right now is to love one another. It's time to share ourselves. Healing starts with us. A message from the US Department of Health and Human Services the Ad Council, and the Stay Strong Foundation.
0: You can't trust this president to do the right thing, not for one minute, not for one election, not for the sake of our country. You just can't. He will not change, and you know it. History will not be kind to Donald Trump. I think we all know that. Not because it will be written by never-Trumpers, but because whenever we have departed from the values of our nation, we have come to regret it. And that regret is written all over the pages of our history. If you find that the House has proved its case and still vote to acquit, your name will be tied to his with a cord of steel and for all of history. He has betrayed our national security. He has compromised our elections, and he will do so again. You will not change him. You cannot constrain him. Truth matters little to him. What's right matters even less, and decency matters not at all.
2: This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
3: And thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. We're going into our second page right now, and we thank you for joining us. If you'd like to get a good seat in this second page, you can come to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG, and we will be happy to make you comfortable. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you at 347-838-9852. We want to thank Suzette and Alpha for their calls and ringing in on the issue of under protections and over-policing in black America, and we're going to be continuing that conversation On Wednesday night here at our common ground in Contano, which means assembly, on Wednesday night with open mic night, and Alpha will be able to tell you about all the problems in Chicago and everything, but did you all note that the criminal Roger Stone was his Sentence. He was expected to enter prison on Wednesday of this coming week and his sentence has been commuted by the racist criminal thug who occupies the presidency. And in response to all of that, um, Bob, Bill Barr making excuses um indicating that um, somehow it wasn't gonna work and blah blah blah. Um and he is the attorney General, the US Attorney General who has criminalized and corrupted the, the US Department of Justice in his effort to cover up for this criminal president. Well, all of this has made Roger Ma- Mueller, who has been quite silent since the Mueller report, you remember that. And um, even though Roger Stone remains a convicted felony, uh, Robert Mueller wrote an op-ed. He was the, he served as a special counsel for the Justice Department from 2017 to. 2019 in the investigation um, um, and resulting indictment, a report and indictment and guilty pleas and convictions uh, for all of the people who <laughs> were surrounded that uh, the this president had surrounded himself with. Uh, the Russia investigation was Uh, paramount in that uh, special counsel's uh, work. And Roger Stone was prosecuted and convicted because he committed a federal crime. Um, All of this started following FBI Director James Comey's termination in May of 2017. And one of the things I want to do tonight is take us back to a a, a firm understanding of where we are and of how we got to where we are. And all of the alarm bells that went off, the Mueller report, the Mueller investigation, the impeachment, all of that came after many people were trying to help us connect the dots about Who this man was. Now this is going to be a long clip and I hope you'll sit with it for a while because I think it's important for us to have a grasp of where
6: we are. So many others in the elite thought that they could control the Trumps and influence them and be in their ear
3: one of the things I forgot to tell you is that uh the people that you are going to be hearing is an analysis that was done in two thousand uh early two thousand uh February two thousand and eighteen by Sarah Kissinger. If you have not Kessendor, have you if you have not read her book, Hiding in Plain Sight or Fly Over Country you Should and Andrea Chalupa. They are the editors of Gaslit Nation, and they have been sounding the alarm about the corrupt and criminal nature of this administration from the time that Donald Trump announced he was running for president. I apologize.
6: So many others in the elite thought that they could control the Trumps and influence them and be in their ear and have a seat at the table in the White House. No, the Trumps are deeply corrupt. They use and abuse people. They simply do not care. They are all about building monuments to themselves by dominating others, and they don't care who they destroy along the way. They will eventually destroy you, and that is what we're seeing. So all these idiot Republicans and cable news stars thought that they could control Trump's reality. Instead, they got sucked in and destroyed by it. And so it's imperative on us as citizens to try to break through that reality as much as possible and to not let them get away with it and to confront them at every turn possible. And that is why on the Gaslit Nation Action Guide, which you can find at GaslitNationPod.com, we have a special section just dedicated to art, art, because that is you have to be creative now to break through to their reality. And one way of doing that is raising your voice at a baseball game and chanting, lock him up. Which, by the way, if you follow the law, is completely appropriate given that the Mueller report itself, the 450-page Mueller report, determined that Donald Trump is a criminal. And the only reason he has not been indicted was because of some stupid DOJ memo. That's it. But Mueller himself, testifying before Congress, said That if the president loses reelection in 2020, yes, of course, he can absolutely be tried and put in prison for being a criminal, a criminal for assisting a mass murdering regime, the Kremlin, in attacking our democracy in 2016. The Trumps are criminals. Anything they've touched from Trump University, Trump Organization, has been hit with investigations and lawsuits because they are a deeply corrupt crime family that relies on Putin's mafia state just to stay afloat. So crime family has to be brought to justice. This is not at all on par with chanting lock her up to Hillary Clinton, who did not break the law, who is the most memed political leader, the treatment by the mainstream media and many in America. And I want you have to acknowledge the fact that it was an absolute travesty. What was done to her? She was dehumanized. She was memed. She was memed. And whether you're a Bernie supporter or whoever supporter, it doesn't matter. The treatment of Hillary Clinton could happen to anybody who dares to take on the corruption in this country. It could happen to anyone that dares to try to stand up and hold the global kleptocracy accountable because we're up against the richest individuals on this planet So you don't think what was done to Hillary Clinton will be done to anybody else that comes along? Of course it will. They'll they'll dehumanize and they will meme and they'll get their bots going and they'll get their cable news going. They'll get Fox News going. Certainly the Kremlin will be on the side of whoever's going to support corruption and make sure that the Kremlin and its allies in the West dodge accountability. This could happen to anyone. That is why we keep trying to remind you that uh, you have to fact check these people and their reality. And lock him up is completely accurate and appropriate.
7: Yeah, exactly. Lock him up is not some random request. Lock him up is directed at individual one. Lock him up is directed at someone who has repeatedly confessed his crimes. He has been confessing his crimes for three years. Like The most damning words that have been spoken have been his own. And it's interesting and important that you drew this back to Russia, because also in the news this week was that Russia now has the greatest collection of wealth among the smallest percent of a population, like under 1% of the population, of now any country in the world, like the United States, which is of course notorious for this, which is notorious for being a plutocracy, is much lower on the list than Russia. And that is the system that they want to emulate, because it is extremely hard for the public to have any kind of leverage when you have this level of wealth. Collection and wealth hoarding among an elite. When you have this level of billionaires controlling every meaningful apparatus of power in society from government to NGOs to the media to big business. That's the situation we have now. And that's why we have uh, you know these little lackeys, uh, people like Joe and Mika, who are both timid because they have been threatened by Trump before. You know They kind of go back and forth and vacillate on him, depending how he's treating them, whether he's blackmailing them, uh, whether he's rewarding them. They kiss his ass on multiple occasions and they're back to it again. But it's much more this idea of like, I, I must remain understatement. Untouchable, And the way that I am untouchable is through my inherited wealth. It's through my political connections. It's through my fealty to this corrupt network, no matter what they do or who they hurt. That is the mindset. And in order to maintain that mindset and to maintain that position of power, they need to buy into this creation of reality, which is a a notorious strategy of the GOP. It's what Karl Rove literally spelled out as a tactic during the Bush administration, that the powerful will invent reality, that we're all just players in their game. He said it out loud. He confessed it because he was so confident that there would never be repercussions and that there would never be you know, any kind of truly powerful political blowback from the people. You know, And now we have a lunatic creating reality. We have Trump who is a sociopath and a narcissist and an egomaniac. And that's a much more uh, dangerous situation. As awful as the Bush administration was, this is much more dangerous. And it requires these pundits to really Vouch for the absurd To lie just like Trump does In the most blatant and brazen way And to attack fellow Americans To attack ordinary Americans Who simply oppose corruption Want the rule of law to actually mean something And oppose the vindictiveness and cruelty Of a president who is illegitimately put into power Like It's so simple, it's so basic It's really something everyone should be able to get on board with
6: Yeah, they don't To your point, Joe and Mika only care about Trump when it personally impacts them. They lack empathy, as clearly exhibited during the 2016 election, because people people of color in America knew who Trump was from the get-go. I mean, their lives were on the line. The lives of the people they love were on the line. And Joe and Mika didn't care. They were just trading in favors, essentially. They were just acting like they were inside the club and that they would have influence in the White House. So they didn't care. So you have to understand that Morning Joe is a show that protects the forces that allow Donald Trump to come to power in the first place. And nowhere is that exhibited greater than having Stephen Ratner on that show all the time, the American financier, who essentially goes on Morning Joe and acts like the publicist for Wall Street. And it's so evident in how he protects Wall Street socialism. You know how Wall Street was bailed out by the American taxpayer. And yet he has the nerve to vilify people like Elizabeth Warren, who is presenting common sense solutions to try to keep Americans from falling through the cracks and try to prevent the middle class from disappearing completely. And so Steve Ratner goes on Morning Joe and he just spouts off all these ridiculous talking points just to protect Wall Street's socialism. That is what kleptocracy looks like. It's where they can take, 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 but God forbid the people actually hurting at the bottom asks for any help and support. That is who Morning Joe protects.
7: Yeah, exactly. I've been on Morning Joe. I went on Morning Joe after my book came out, and, I mean, people afterwards were like, did Sarah Kinsey just subtweet Morning Joe on Morning Joe? And, I mean, you can go look up the clip and find the answer to that. Anyway... (laughs) So on the same day that Trump was booed later on in the World Series, the day that Nate Silver has bemoaned as poor little Trump could not have one good day because of the evil libs, um, which is quite revealing. Is of course, the day that Trump announced the death of ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, who has been rumored to die multiple times before, but apparently this is for real. Trump had promoted the death the night before, uh, like he was promoting a reality show special. We would like to clarify that obviously it is good this man is dead. He was a brutal terrorist. We are happy that the U.S. Special Forces was able to take him out, um, as well as you know, with the help of our other allies in the region. But we have some serious problems with this story. Trump, instead of treating this as a, a serious and somber moment in American foreign politics— Basically made a speech reciting the death that sounded like an extremely graphic plot of a movie. Uh, The plot has been contested by numerous U.S. military officials. Trump claimed himself that it was like watching a movie. In reality, it was impossible that he was even able to watch the death if you match it with the descriptions that he gave. Uh, it's important here to remember that Trump is a sociopath obsessed with graphic torture. He luxuriates in these descriptions because he does not consider people beside himself to be real. To get back to the point that Andrea and I were just making some other things that were uh, a bit particular to this administration, Trump thanked Russia Before thanking the U.S. Special Forces, Trump did not alert House intel officials about the operation, uh, including Pelosi and Schiff, because he said that they would compromise security by leaking. So this is yet another instance of Trump prioritizing foreign governments, including governments that are hostile states like Russia, over the United States. A final point uh, before I ask your opinion on this is we cannot separate al-Baghdadi's death from the broader situation in Syria, in particular, the shifts in policy that the Trump administration has made recently, which has been so horrific and so d- disastrous, in particular for the Kurds, you know, who are now targets of ethnic cleansing by Turkey, Gary Kasparov, uh, the Russian dissident chess player, writer, and I think one of the best analysts of the situation, tweeted on Sunday Quote, isn't it obvious what happened here? Surely Putin and Erdogan gave up al-Baghdadi in exchange for Trump abandoning northern Syria and the Kurds. A quid pro quo, I believe it's called. Or are we to believe that it's a coincidence that al-Baghdadi was in the only house left standing after all of Putin and Assad's bombing of Idlib? Either they gave him up or simply declined to warn him this time. So basically Kasparov is putting the killing of al-Baghdadi in the context of these pretty inexplicable and cruel policies uh, that the Trump administration has recently enacted in Syria, the policies that have shocked so many and made people uh, question what exactly we're doing here. Do you have any thoughts on that or on the the assassination in general? Well, certainly
6: the Trump crime family operates on quid pro quos. That's how they operate. If you're not useful to them, you don't exist. If you try to stand in their way, they will d- try to destroy you. Quid pro quos, as we know them, just in how they came to the White House in the first place, uh, we know that in t- June 2016, Don Jr., Paul Manafort, Jared Kushner meeting in Trump Tower with essentially representatives of the Kremlin, lobbyist lawyers linked closely to the Kremlin who have pushed the Kremlin's interest for years in the West. They had a meeting with Trump's family and reps of his campaign because it's the same thing, right? And we don't know exactly what was discussed there, whether Donald Trump came in or was on speakerphone or whatever. We don't know. And Mueller did not have the teeth to really go after that and really force testimony, you know, try to get that testimony out of Don Jr. himself. We know that those guys, including Jared, got off, except for Paul Manafort. But a month later, you had WikiLeaks weaponize the trove, the treasure chest of emails stolen from the DNC to deeply damage Trump's opposition in the 2016 election. So it's very likely, given what we know about Donald Trump and how he operates, uh, that the June 2016 meeting was a quid pro quo. We know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Donald Trump and his uh, gang of yes-men around him, from the Secretary of State Pompeo to the Attorney General William Barr, pressured, there are many, many ways, on many, many different fronts, pressured the new president of Ukraine to try to invent invent a crime committed by Trump's opposition including Biden one of his political opponents right now running for the White House so we know that that was a quid pro quo Ukraine knew that it was not getting weapons that it desperately needed to ward off an invasion to try to push back an invasion by the second most powerful military in the world Russia and people were dying while Trump was withholding much needed defensive aid to Ukraine people were dying in Ukraine okay this had once again Donald Trump and Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner are responsible for the loss of innocent life, once again. And so, yes, a quid pro quo is very much how the Trump crime family operates. So possibly Kasparov is right. If that's true, what is just as damning, if not more so, listen to this from the New York Times. For months, intelligence officials had kept Mr. Trump apprised of what he had set as a top priority, the hunt for Mr. al-Baghdadi, the world's most wanted terrorist. But Mr. Trump's abrupt withdrawal order three weeks ago disrupted the meticulous planning underway and forced Pentagon officials to speed up the plan for the risky night raid before their ability to control troops, spies, and reconnaissance aircraft disappeared with the pullout, the officials said. Mr. al-Baghdadi's death in the raid on Saturday, they said, occurred largely in spite of and not because of Mr. Trump's actions. Dear God, so we are operating essentially with Putin's proxy in the White House, Putin's Russian mafia asset in the White House, Donald Trump, and the American patriots who are still left in the United States government doing the best they can, the best they can to protect America's uh, security, despite the fact that we've essentially been invaded, as we've been telling you since 2016, by, by the Kremlin through Putin's proxy, Donald Trump
7: to that point, one other thing that Trump said about this is that he basically, you know, as usual, confessed to the crime and said, we're there for the oil. Like, we don't care about the Kurds. Uh, he basically doesn't care about the U.S. Special Forces. You know, Trump is notorious for denigrating the military. Uh, this is something he's always done, whether it's John McCain or his or Han or, you know, numerous other veterans uh, who he's slighted. And, you know, we'll get into the latest one in the uh, later part of this show. It's another betrayal of our country. Um, You know, in terms of a quid pro quo We know that Trump has been Fulfilling Putin's wish list His foreign policy wish list From the minute he got into office um, This seems to be part of it I'm wary about where it's going I'm not completely sure And, you know, the gift, I guess Would be um, the death of al-Baghdadi Which Trump thought would be This great propaganda moment for himself You know, a way that he could compete With Obama and the killing of Osama bin Laden um, You know, under Obama's administration Because, of course, You know, Trump is obsessed with this because he's deranged. Uh, he managed to blow this moment. And I actually think Trump is, on the whole, very good at propaganda and spin. I feel like this is a quality people have consistently underestimated in him, but he got a little too enthusiastic. Uh, he was really in there for the gruesome details. Uh, he had to embellish. He had to lie. He had to seem like he had total control over this situation, like he really was the commander-in-chief. He could not stand I think, the idea that members of the U.S. military, actual other human beings, helped pull this off after years and years of trying. You know, the only individual that he signal out is the dog uh, that was involved in the operation. This is after Trump's bizarre rant about uh, dogs as he described the death of al-Baghdadi. So there's something psychologically askew in his dog obsession as well. I mean, and I'm not saying you should name the people uh, who were involved in this mission because, you know, this is a national security issue but, you know, show actual respect, you know, give some credit and recognize that this is not, they're not doing this for Donald Trump. You know, they are doing this for the safety of the world. They are doing this for the safety of the U.S. And they're doing this to rid the world of a terrorist, you know, monster who has been slaughtering people, who is, you know, responsible um, for the deaths of so many in that region. But he can't ever distance any of that from himself. And there's one more thing I want to bring up with this, um, because I feel like the, the media kind of missed it. On Sunday, you know, Trump apparently was going on about how he himself is like, you know, the arbiter of national security and spotting terrorists and hunting terrorists and spotting the threat in advance. And among the claims
1: he Janice, are you muted?
3: Oh, I was muted. Yes, I was absolutely muted, and you forgot. You missed the part where I was talking about we need a Nazi hunter. Let me go back through that. We need a Nazi hunter because we've got Nazis. Uh, And this cleanup general in the name of Bill Barr, uh, whose entire reputation is about... Um, <laughs> cleaning up the GOP's dirty laundry uh, and, and, and I think it's really important The re- reason I played that long And I apologize for it But I was on mute uh, Without question These authoritarian wannabes in power Are doing is they're trying to attack and jail Innocent people Now they're going with Lady uh, Lady G, who that's what I call Lindsey Graham. They're going after Lindsey Graham. (laughs) But I think it's important for us to put our hands around the level and the depth of the corruption that we are seeing. So, Alpha, what's your take on what you heard?
4: Well, (laughs) Sarah Kinzinger, is to me a very uh, top-of-the-shelf reporter. She is uh, one who who will confront power. Uh, The Donald Trump, Bill Barr scenario, once they approved Bill Barr, to me it was game over. To me it was a matter of Sitting back and watching The corruption I call Bill Bob The traitor whisperer Because He got rid of all of the wrongdoing In the uh, Bush W.H. Bush regime He got them all pardons The uh, Oliver, Oliver What's his name uh, Oliver North And the sales of of arms To Iran The drug money Just everything He got rid of everything When he showed up on the scene So when Trump went and got him I don't know why The senators On our side of the aisle Voted for him But they did And they voted for him Because of the uh hearings that they had to confirm him and he lied he lied to the congress but once that was all done i just i just said well all we have to do now is you know wait on congress to do their job but then, yeah well
3: one of the things that has occurred to me and I try I try to be reasoned by it uh, in it in considering it is that i I just simply think that this house needs to invoke uh, investigation on Bill Barr to um, consider whether he should be impeached, and I think we need to impeach um, Donald Trump, it only takes a month to do that stuff. And we've got six more months of this man, which is why I played that clip. I don't usually play long clips like that. But I played that clip because I think we have to get our arms around who these people are. They are um, a transnational criminal enterprise.
4: Who the thunk? <laughs> you're absolutely right. And what he does, come on, Janice. If if the people who support him can only go by what he says, he he's lied more than twenty thousand times, and they they've basically tracked it. So if you're going to listen to the lies, and you'll always be that. What about us? What about this? What about that? He can always say, I've I've got the greatest economy ever. He don't say anything about the progress that pulled us back from the cliff and brought prosperity back just to the Wall Street part of the economy because at the pilgrims level, nothing. We got nothing as citizens if we're trying to make ends meet. So I I don't I have very little to say about his his criminality. I just uh, well well don't. let
3: me just say this so that people understand in the context of what Sarah Kissendor saw and Andrea Chalupo were discussing in two 2018. That clip is from 2018, and America, Americans simply don't seem to understand that we have lot, we do, we no longer have a democratic government. Donald Trump is a corrupt, treasonal, treasonous, pathological lion. Pussy-grabbing responsible for the death of 136,000 Americans. And that's how I summarize it for today. I've stopped worrying about Trump's sanity. He's not sane. What I worry now about is the sanity of anyone who can still support this deeply troubled man to lead this country.
4: Well, I think his, his niece's book basically said it all. He's been a narcissistic thief, liar ever since she's known him, and he'll lie just to lie. Yeah, he'll make yeah. up. He'll make up a story just to make up a story, and it's not so much that I don't I blame him, but I blame the Republicans. Had they voted him out in early February, the pandemic would have not been as severe as it, as it is now. And Republicans could have very easily won the next election in state and stayed in power in the Senate. But now they get—they—they they, they didn't pull the trigger on Donald Trump. Now he's. Uh, Co pedal, the response to the pandemic it brought down the economy and uh um, this is what he's what, and he sent our unemployment numbers up. He's going to say yeah. four point five million jobs created was a good thing. Those are people just returning to work yeah eleven point yeah. one is is good unemployment I mean he gaslights you every single day, every single moment.
3: Yeah, we are a glass, a gas-lighted country. And without question, anybody in a position of power to do anything to protect this sovereignty, to protect the rule of law, to protect our upcoming 2020 presidential election, anybody in a position of power to do anything is going to be his target. So just imagine just imagine just imagine and I, I I like the idea that we need to put it we need to put Joe Biden in the position and reflect on what happened to Hillary Clinton. And I only hold her up to remind everybody About what is going on. This is widespread. So anybody, any member of Congress who is standing up for the rule of of law right now, like um, like uh, Congressman Schiff and their staff, are undergoing tremendous targeting and threats. It was always inevitable with this guy, and it's systemic. And this is how the mafia and corruption gets things done, and they have the means to do it. You saw even Harry Weinstein employing these tactics to try to kill the stories against him, employing the psych ops firms to harass journalists. You saw Ronan Farrell almost getting his story killed at NBC News because of that kind of intimidation tactics and pressuring. Their tactic is fear. Their tactic is is terrorism.
4: Like I said, Janice, when has this country been anything other than evil? When? I don't care who's in office. I don't care who we side with. They, 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 They ask me, why do you side with Democrats? Over Republicans, because Republicans are trying to kill democracy, and Democrats are toying with the idea. They want to. They yeah. want to do it in real quietly behind closed doors. Yeah, but well, once Biden we're, gets in,
3: we're we're going to really target this idea of our question of whether or not the House should begin impeachment proceedings uh, for both Bill Barr. I mean, he even attacked his friend Jeff. I mean, not his friend, but he he attacked Jeff Sessions without mercy this week.
4: Well, because he, want, he wants the old Auburn football coach Tupperville to be the senator because Tupper, Tupperville will do whatever he says. Sessions will too, but he didn't unrecuse himself, and that brought about Robert Mueller.
3: Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Hey, Alpha, um, thank you very much uh, for ringing in. I know that these are issues that weigh heavily on everybody's mind. About what is going to happen What's your prediction
4: Well he's got Six months He's This is the part where He's more than obvious This is Slash and burn This is That's what this is He will burn down the house That's what We'll be walking in rubble
3: Well in my estimation Having spent over twenty years, in my estimation of having spent over twenty years in federal service he's already burned down the house, so well, he just have exactly. to blow up the he just have to blow up the remnants and I think people ought to be prepared you know i i um my grandchildren sent me a t shirt and t shirt says anybody else 2020. That's what it says. Anybody else? Alpha, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, we're going to continue this conversation on Wednesday night at 10 p.m., and we hope that you will join us. For those of you who want to stay in touch with us, subscribe to our website at www.ourcommonground.com. And um, you can join us on Facebook at OCG Talk Radio and Twitter. You can find me and follow me at Janice OCG. We thank you so very much for your support. And we will see you on Wednesday night at 10 p.m. I'll be listening for you. Thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground. For all of you that have joined us in our chat room, we thank you as well. I'm Janice Grant. Join us each Saturday at Our Common Ground. I'll be listening
1: for you. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. The city that stagger on the coastline in a nation that just can't stand much more Like the forest Buried beneath the highway Never had a chance to grow
4: Never
1: had a chance to grow And now it's winter Winter in America I know we can, can, can yes, we can, can Oh, people, I know we can make it work I know we can make it if we only try hi, hi, hi. God Oh, yes, we can, and everything we, we can make it, y'all Oh, yeah, we can make it, y'all we If we only try Yeah, yeah, we can make it, y'all we Sometimes it's hard Yes, we can, and